Hi, this is Shannon Waller here, and welcome to the Inside Strategic Coach Podcast with Dan Sullivan. Dan, I am really excited about what we're going to talk about today, and that is a comment that you made, which I thought was really intriguing. And what you said is that bureaucracies eliminate the need for heroes. And I think that is such an interesting idea. Mm. And one of our latest books is Who Do You Want to Be a Hero To? So I would love to dive deep into that because, I don't know, I was really inspired by hearing that comment. So what do you mean when you say bureaucracies eliminate the need for heroes? I find that really interesting. Yeah, well, bureaucracies, first of all, are necessary in society where you have predictable things that are very complex. So... You want to create processes and systems and procedures, which only requires human beings to actually follow and do a really, really good job of following existing processes that have been tested out. I mean, if it's a good bureaucracy. And what a bureaucracy comes from, you know, it's a French word, and it's the rule of the desk. So the word for desk in French is bureau, and Ocracy is rule of, so it's the people who have the desks, and generally in bureaucracies, the head of a bureaucracy, whether it's true or not, but this is the image. They have the biggest office, they have the corner office, and they have the biggest, they have the biggest desk. But it's the notion that as population increases and societies become more complex in the different kinds of activities, there's a part that just needs to be more or less made predictable. You know, if you just follow the rules, this is going to work, and there's no need for people to exhibit extraordinary capability or they save the day. The whole point of bureaucracy is that there should be no days in the future that have to be saved. There should be no crises. Mm -hmm. Okay, and the whole point is that our world, even within my lifetime, so I'm 75 years old this year, and 2019, I'm 75, but when I was born in 1944, the global population was 2.2 billion, Mm -hmm. and now it's 7.7 billion. So in my lifetime, the population of the planet has tripled, more than tripled, and it'll go four times, it might go five times in my lifetime. And there's a lot of complexity to managing things so that water supplies are good and, you know, all sorts, a thousand different daily things that we take for granted if we live in modern society, which really require automated systems and bureaucracies to run them. The whole point is you don't want those vital things depending that someone's going to be heroic. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, Generally speaking, I think that it's the very idea of a bureaucracy and the way bureaucracies plan out their future and the way that they manage things is actually designed that there's no need for heroism. There's no need for heroes. And it's my experience, and I'm, you know, I'm an outsider because the only bureaucracies that I've ever actually been in were I worked for the FBI for two years mm-hmm. right out of high school. I needed a job. You know, my family didn't really have money. And through my high school principal, whose brother was the agent in charge of the FBI in Cleveland, Ohio, I was able to get a job at the 
the Identification Bureau in Washington, D.C., and this is right on the mall in downtown Washington, D.C. We're about a half mile from the Capitol building. The big issue still then was Communist Party USA, so I had a job for two years pulling files for investigative agents, and it was all very bureaucratic. You know, you don't want your file clerk to be a hero. You don't want your file clerk, you don't want your agents necessarily to be heroes. And I don't know if a lot of people know this, but to be an FBI agent, you either have to have a law degree or an accounting degree because they're investigators, you know, and legal training and uh, accounting training really trains you to have an investigative mind. You know, the numbers have to be right. The facts have to be right. Basically, in your future planning of a large organization like that, you want to eliminate all situations that would require someone being heroic. There should be rules and regulations that handle everything. And if there's a breakdown, you don't go out and hire heroes. What you do is you fix the bureaucracy. And then the second one, I was in the Army for two years, and the Army is a big bureaucracy. It has to be. You know, there's a couple of million people in the armed forces and, you know, the complexity of everything the Army touches and what it's involved with. You can't have the future of the country or the defense of the country dependent upon heroes. To most parts, you want to eliminate all need for heroism. Having said that, I'm going to swing over to the non-bureaucratic world, and this is the entrepreneurial world where new things are being created. Mm -hmm. And in the world of entrepreneurism, there's enormous rewards for being a hero. Mm -hmm. And the heroism that comes through for entrepreneurs is that they're heroes to their clients. They're hero to their customers. So I think the natural, most fundamental, powerful activity at the center of entrepreneurial value creation is really being a hero. So this is why these two worlds are very separate from each other. And I've never seen an entrepreneur, having been a hero in the marketplace, who went into a bureaucracy and was happy with the experience. And by the same token, I've never seen someone whose lifetime was in a bureaucratic setting who decided to go to work in an entrepreneurial firm who was happy with the experience. These are two separate worlds. You know, mm-hmm. These are two very, very distinct and separate worlds. And I think you know, there's all sorts of profiles that you can do like Colby and there's like Strength Finder and you know any Myers-Briggs and DISC and all the different profiles we have which would kind of tell you someone wants predictable activities that they can get better they like operating within a system where the structure is guaranteed and some people like to operate where things get made up and there's a lot of trial and error and there's risk and everything that's the world of the hero and that's not the world of the bureaucracy. That's really interesting. My one political science course that I ever took was actually on bureaucracy. And then I thought that was really fun having met you. <laughs> it was kind of anti-bureaucracy. And one of the things that they talked about, and one thing I remember from this, is that bureaucracies will outlive their original purpose, mm-hmm. and they will find another reason to survive. Mm-hmm. So they won't just fulfill a purpose. They'll actually manifest something else. But I appreciate what you said, because in my mind, bureaucracies are bad. But when you talk about the army, you talk about the FBI, you talk about our systems, you know, we do need things that can feed and clothe millions of people that can make sure highways are running. And so that makes a lot of sense. And you don't want to (laughs) have disasters where you need a hero Mm -hmm. to jump in. Although when that does happen, and we heroes do show up, we're very appreciative. But that's not something you can plan for. That's not something you want to have to count on is how that strikes me. 
Yeah, I'll give you a great example, which points out exactly what you're talking here. Let's talk about the space program when it first started. Everybody has to remember, say, why can't we have the space program like we had it? You have to understand, you know, the mission to land a man on the moon had actually nothing to do with space. It had to do with beating the Russians, Mm -hmm. beating the Soviets. This was part of the Cold War. And the fact is that the key players in the American space program were actually Nazis. They were the experts in rocketry that the Germans had developed for weapons, Werner von Braun. And quite frankly, these people, you know, the way they killed thousands and thousands of slave laborers to push through their rocketry expertise, they were kind of war criminals, and we gave them a clean bill of health because... The Russians also had captured Nazis, you know, and they're Nazis. I mean, these were actual people who were very much for the Mm -hmm. Nazi movement. And so you had the Russian Nazis and we had the American Nazis and we beat the Russians to the moon because our Nazis were better than their Nazis. Okay. (laughs) But they were heroes because this was entirely new. So wherever you have something new that's being created, Bureaucracy is the worst possible thing you can have for it Mm -hmm. because it requires very sudden decisions. It requires the ability to completely reverse something at a moment because something's not working. Mm -hmm. Chance for new talent to enter into the picture. So very interesting. The first astronauts were actually combat pilots and test pilots, Mm -hmm. two very, very dangerous activities. So they had fought in the Second World War. They had fought in the Korean War. Then they were testing these very, very risky rocket planes. So where the space program was new and it was all unexplored and everything was trial and error, and oftentimes the error ended up in death, Mm -hmm. and there were astronauts killed and everything else. You wanted people who really got excited about that type of activity, but not only that, they had proven their whole life that they were really good at that. So wherever something's new and risky and experimental, you want people who have a natural instinct for being heroes. But now the astronauts, you don't want your astronauts to be heroes. 60 years later. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing like you would not want fighter pilots to be airline pilots. And actually, the Colby, Kathy Colby, of course, Mm -hmm. has done extensive Colbys with major airlines. Mm -hmm. She says the last thing in the world that you want is a 10 quick start airline pilot, you know. You want somebody who's a law and fact finder, law and follow through, especially a checklist person, because, you know, you want seven and eight follow throughs who Mm -hmm. get enjoyment of checking into the cockpit on every flight and going through every checklist. Someone with a long quick start and not much follow through. Often I've done this example. If you have your pilot who's actually at 10 quick start and probably on the the ADD scale. And he said, folks, uh, we were scheduled to come in on runway number five. But just for kicks, I'm going to put the radio, the tower on the PA system. And I'm going to come in on runway three and just watch his reaction. This is going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) You know, this is going to be a lot of fun. Hey. Hey, you know, I've done this three or four times, and it always produces the same amazing result, you know. And this is why I fly. It's just from one day to the next, you never know what's going to come up. Well, you know, as a passenger on a scheduled airline, you just don't want that excitement in your life. (laughs) And therefore, you know, airline pilots tend to be bureaucratic employees, really good bureaucratic employees. And there's a danger in that, that 
they are so unused to taking over and the planes are becoming, you know, robot controlled and automatic AI controlled that there are certain situations like the famous Skullenberger who landed the plane on the Hudson River and they said probably if no other pilot at the control of that plane under mm-hmm. that circumstances would have done what he did. But he was used to being a hero. He was a fighter pilot. Right. And the other thing, he was a glider pilot. He was a competitive oh, glider pilot. Yeah. And he figured out what the gliding capability, you have a plane, doesn't have any engines, can you glide a plane? And because he had this gliding experience, he knew he had to keep it just at a certain angle mm-hmm. or it would topple when it hit the ground. So that experience in that situation, a crisis situation, he was a hero. Mm-hmm. But you don't want the plane to be in that situation. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be in that situation. So there's two sides of it. And first of all, bureaucracies are going to be with us forever. Mm-hmm. And entrepreneurism is going to be with us forever. But if you want to be a hero, don't join a bureaucracy. And if you want things totally predictable, don't join an entrepreneurial company. Yeah, it really strikes me that this provides a lot of direction about where decide who you are, you know, profiles. And it really comes down to values because we have people that really enjoy putting processes in and they back us up. And quite often there are heroes, which we really appreciate. But there's a point if you want to completely eliminate all risk, bureaucracy would be a much better place for you to spend your time. But certainly for entrepreneurs, I think really appreciating that they're not bureaucratic and to keep as far away from that as possible and to be very conscious about not getting involved in Mm -hmm. that. And I see it when people sell their companies and they're retained for like three years or something like that. And all of a sudden they've gone from being a hero and they're sucked into that much more bureaucratic, hierarchical way of doing things and they're very not happy campers. Yeah, this is why there's such uniqueness in human behavior because the world needs new entrepreneurs. And quite frankly, as the world gets more complicated and the populations get bigger, we need bureaucracies that actually work. Mm -hmm. And you have to have the right mindsets in charge of both those activities. Well, it strikes me too, this is where technology actually can really leverage and hopefully simplify bureaucracies because they do tend to be very hierarchical and paper pushing and some Mm -hmm. of the negative connotations that technology is one way where we can actually make it much more efficient. Yeah, well, the one thing, there's very unequal futures here because the easiest place to actually have robotics and artificial intelligence take over is actually the bureaucratic world, not the entrepreneurial world. Mm. So entrepreneurs are much safer in a technological future than bureaucrats are. Oh, tell me more about that. Well, you know, if you have a bureaucracy and it's got seven levels of management with proper technology programs, can we reduce the seven levels down to three levels? Mm -hmm. Okay, and, you know, they call it the flattening of the organization. And quite frankly, if it's predictable, humans aren't great. Even predictable people aren't that great at predict. (laughs) They certainly can't match a machine Mm -hmm. that is more or less guaranteed to do the same thing every day. Humans, not so much. You know, we're wayward creatures. You know, we're mistake prone. And it's actually our genius that we can make mistakes and learn from them because Mm -hmm. so many breakthroughs actually come from failures and setbacks and mistakes and disasters. And we completely reorganize our thought about going into the future as a result of negative experience. Bureaucracies don't handle negative experience well. Mm. Entrepreneurs actually have it as raw material. 
So what do entrepreneurs do that bureaucrats don't? Well, when something doesn't work, you get to start all over and because they have short deadlines. The other thing is that entrepreneurs have very, very short deadlines. And the other thing is they don't operate well in processes. They operate in projects, which mm-hmm. have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And my feeling is the best entrepreneurial projects are ones where it can be completed within a 90-day period, beginning, middle, and end in a 90-day period. You get the idea at the beginning of a quarter. By the end of the quarter, you have a new result. When people are in bureaucracies, they can go their entire career inside the same process, and there was no beginning of it because it started before Mm -hmm. they actually joined the bureaucracy. Throughout their entire lifetime, 30 or 40 years, they're in the same process. And when they're finished, it was like they were never there. That sounds so depressing. (laughs) Well, yeah, but you're only saying that because you would never go there. No, never. (laughs) Yeah, but for some people, that would be wonderful. They're protected. Mm -hmm. Their income is more or less guaranteed. And the other thing is, it's very hard to tell whether they're doing a good job or a bad job. Bureaucracies, it's not so easy to tell whether people are actually good or not because there aren't any endings where you could actually say, well, that was a bad ending. Bureaucracy, for the most part, doesn't like endings. Well, it was interesting. When I was first looking for a job, not unlike your FBI, I was trying to figure out where could I possibly fit? How could I add value? How is I going to make a living after university? And I realized I had to be somewhere. This was a conscious thought well before I met you. I knew I needed to be somewhere where I could see the results of my work. I had to know that it made a difference or did not. Without that feedback, I knew I would be useless and probably very unhappy, which dramatically limited my (laughs) selection choices. Ironically, I remember I did apply to some government agencies that I thought were doing some interesting work. Fortunately, none of them accepted me, (laughs) and I ended up in an entrepreneurial company, Mm -hmm. which led me to Strategic Coach. I had that, fortunately, instinct early on that I need that feedback mechanism from the marketplace or I was not going to be successful. Yeah. And I think it's important, you know, that the world has gotten better with an increased population. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, actually, the quality of life around the planet, the levels of accomplishment and the levels of individual striving and actually achievement has gone up with the number of people on the planet. And this is incontestable, Mm -hmm. you know, and the world is much safer with 7.7 billion people than it was when I was born. And it was 2.2 billion. I often say, you know, when I was born, Hitler was alive, Stalin was alive. Roosevelt was alive, Churchill was alive, Tojo, who was the head of the Japanese war machine, was alive. And there were tens of thousands of people being killed every day when I was born. That doesn't happen today when I'm 75, Mm -hmm. and the population is three times. Part of the reason is there's really good heroism and there's really bad heroism. Mm -hmm. And I think that Human beings want a certain amount of heroism, but quite frankly, most people's experience of heroism today is reading novels and going to movies. They don't actually experience heroism live. I tell you, you say, back in the old days, you know, life was heroic. And I said, yeah, it was very dangerous and it was very short. (laughs) Well, that's when you need heroes. Yeah, you need heroes, but you can only take so much of that. But here's the thing. The fact that a situation or a circumstance is bad for you doesn't mean it's bad. Mm-hmm. It just means it would be bad for you to spend your time there. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I don't want my garbage man, I don't want my mailman, I don't want those people to be heroes. Mm-hmm. I just want them to do what they're supposed to do every day and actually 
it doesn't bother them to do the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. So, Dan, how can people take action on this? Because one of the things that strikes me is that we don't fortunately need people risking their lives as much and or dying or those sorts of things. But we do have a lot of opportunities to be heroes to our clients and to our teams and to really pay attention to what makes a difference, especially in that realm of the new, the creative, yeah. the transforming. So I think heroism, fortunately, has come much, much closer to home and it's safer. <laughs> It's safer to be a hero in some ways. So talk about how people can take this idea. Well, it's 10 times more difficult to be a creative hero than it is to be a reactive hero. Mm. Okay, so, you know, there's a threat to society or to people's lives, and it requires heroism on the part of certain people. But you're simply reacting to something that was created outside of you. You know, war, you didn't create the war. It's reactive, you know, crime, you know, your heroic in situations, fires, you're reactive. I mean, heroism is heroism, and not everybody's capable of it. But people are always searching for dangerous or situations that other people created, and then they react to them. To actually have things safe and abundant and be creative, a creative hero, where you create something brand new, requires 10 times more intentionality. And the reason is because nobody cares whether you create it or not. Right. You know, it's not needed. Mm-hmm. It's just that after you create it, people want it. <laughs> That's what Steve Jobs said. Well, nobody needed the iPod, it's just that after we created the iPod, everybody wanted it. Same thing with the iPhone, same thing with iTunes. So his whole point was nobody needs the thing that we created, but after we created it, they all want it. And that's creative heroism. That's not reactive heroism. I love You know, that I mean, t- Henry Ford said if I had given people what they needed, it would have been 20-foot horses So they'd have 20 horsepower, and they didn't eat. They didn't eat, and you didn't have to clean up the manure. But it wouldn't have been an automobile. (laughs) It would have been a bigger, better version of what people already needed. Right. So creative heroism is kind of intuiting down the road, if I create this thing and I present it to people, there's a chance that after they see it, they can't live without it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not responding to any need. I'm just creating a new reality, which people find very attractive. That's fascinating. I mean, I love the term creative heroism. I mean, that's very powerful. And the fact that it is actually harder. Well, it has to come from the inside. You're not responding to something from the outside. Exactly. And usually there's a lot of questions and doubt and hopefully testing. I love your expression, always test on check writers to see whether or not if it's useful for one person. Make sure it's useful for one person before you think it's going to be useful for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much wisdom we have in Coach about how to do that. So I really love this distinction, Dan. And you've given me a new insight that bureaucracies aren't always bad. <laughs> Certainly when they lack all creativity, then they get that way for me. Well, I can tell you when a bureaucracy in modern life fails, you really know about it. And it's an unpleasant day for a large number of people. When the lights go up, mm-hmm. uh, it's very unpleasant. Yeah. Okay, so we tend to take good bureaucracies for granted, we only respond to bad bureaucracies or where they're not doing their job. Mm -hmm. But there would be a thousand massive bureaucratic systems that's supporting our daily life here 
that we never have to think about, and that's the whole point, that we can go about doing what we want to do individually, and these systems are taken care of. Well, and this infrastructure really creates a lot of room and abundance, Mm -hmm. as you said, for more creative heroism. Yeah, you can't have creative heroism unless you have good bureaucracies taking care of everything else in life so that you don't have to think about it. On that note? No, I mean, everybody knows I have certain political views, and one of them is about the environmental movement and Earth Hour, you know. So Earth Hour, it's usually in March, and it's still dark, and you turn all your lights. But we have lots of lights, and I turn every single light on during Earth Hour, and I call it Electricity Hour. I sit there for an hour, and I'm just so thankful for all the human beings before me who tested and tried out and some got electrocuted and everything else that I have electricity. I said, boy, electricity, what a thing, you know. I really love electricity, you know. (laughs) And I always appreciate it because I grew up when the strongest light bulb we had in our house was 60 watts and there weren't many of them, Mm -hmm. you know, and there were very few plugs. And as a matter of fact, I was born in 1944 and our farm had only been electrified 16 years before I was born. And I could talk to people what the farm was like without electricity. I can tell you, farms are a lot better with electricity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so you can't have creative entrepreneurism without really good bureaucracies. And no one's asking you to actually be in that life. They're saying these things are taken care of. But don't sit there and knock them because without electricity and a thousand other guarantees every day, you can't be a creative entrepreneur. So I'm kind of even-handed about this, you mm-hmm. know. Well, I think what I appreciate is you've really kind of described the polarity between bureaucracy and entrepreneurism and the fact that, you know, there's an upside and a downside to both, and we can appreciate the upside of bureaucracy because that really frees us oh, to yeah. do what we do as entrepreneurs. Yeah, and plumbing. I mean, plumbing, you know. Somebody said, you know, this is one of the American presidents said this, I don't know who it was, but he said, if you think that a country is going to be your competitor in the future, go to their capital city Mm -hmm. and travel 100 miles from the capital city, and if they're still pooping in a hole in the ground, they're not a competitor. That's a good distinction. He says plumbing really counts for a lot in the world. Yep. And that takes bureaucracy. Entrepreneurs can create breakthroughs, but for them to become systems requires bureaucracy. Great. And that really is the process where something new gets created and then it gets systematized and made consistent, at which point that hero, that breakthrough person, needs to go back and do another one, a different one, because if they stay involved in it, they'll just want to keep changing it. And that's the point to hand it over to someone who can actually make it real and make it recur, as we talk about it, Coach. There's a whole process there implied in what we're talking about. That's exactly right. Great. Thanks, Dan. This was so interesting. Yeah. And I appreciate being clear about where I belong. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. At Strategic Coach, we focus on growth in every area of your business and life, leading to freedom that entrepreneurs dream of. Join Dan Sullivan, founder of Strategic Coach, for a brand new on-demand web presentation. It's a breakthrough hour of wisdom, insight, and proven strategies. Over 18,000 entrepreneurs can't be wrong. Watch today at danwebinar.com.